Welcome back to another episode of Stuck in the Middle. Where we ain't young, but we ain't dead yet. We are so glad to have you with us, and we have a special guest that's actually with us today in front of the camera, not behind the camera. Mm -hmm. um, so for everyone that doesn't know Mike, Julie's son-in-law, he is our trivia <laughs> mask, taskmaster behind the scenes, but today... Mm -hmm. For this week, in honor of Veterans Day, yes. um, that's coming up on Friday, and this um, is today's Monday, um, we wanted to just honor Mike, thank him for his service, get um, Veterans Day from the perspective of a true veteran, yes. and not just as somebody like us that admires and appreciates and honors our yeah. veterans. And just for him to kind of tell us his story, I'm sure we'll have a million questions for him like we do everybody. Yes. Um, but we're, we're happy to have guests. And I don't know if you all listened to last week's episode. We had a very special guest and we've gotten so many great... Great feedback. Great feedback. Yes. If you haven't watched, you need to go back and watch that. It's um, where we interview a friend of ours that actually did time in federal prison and what it's like to be from a prisoner perspective, mm -hmm. um, and very, very interesting. We're actually gonna do a second part to that um, next week. So we're excited about that as well. Absolutely. But, so changing gears back to Veterans Day, um, Mike, just tell us your story, what branch of the government you served in. Um, just, mm -hmm. you talk. <laughs> you talk. <laughs> you talk. It's easier from the other side of the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's, yes it's it different. is, yes it is. Um, <laughs> So I joined the Army in August of 2001. I was actually in for about six months before um, in what they may have changed the terminology. So if some of the terminology is off, it's because it's been 20 years. Um, wow. It used to be called, yeah, I got out in uh, 2005. So it's been close to 20 years. Wow. Now. Yeah. Um, it was called the Delayed Entry Program, which I think it still is. Um, it's where high school kids can join and be in the military, and then you go away to basic training once you graduate. Oh, wow. So it was started through a high school, kind of like an ROTC kind of a program in a Similar, way? Similar, the, the, uh, the recruiters kind of teach you different things. Being out here, it was kind of hard. They're out of um, Fort Myers. Okay. That's uh, the recruiting station I came from. And they come out, they teach you basic things that you'll need to know, how to salute. They do some physical fitness. Mm -hmm. um, back then, I was actually in shape, so it wasn't bad. <laughs> I don't think I could run 500 feet. Yeah. Right um, I was maybe 180 pounds when I joined. Or no, yes. then I came out of basic. I was close to 180. When I went in, I was like 140. Oh, wow. He was yeah. so thin. So you put on weight. I put on a lot of weight. Muscle? I, really, when I came out of basic, I think I was about 160, actually. Uh -huh. um, muscle and just eating three times a day on schedule. Yes. You know, that everything is on a schedule. But so I joined about six months before my parents had to sign because I wasn't 18 yet. Okay. Um, Where'd you go to basic training? Where was that? I went to, it used to be called Fort Benning, Georgia. Now it's Fort Moore. They recently changed the name as they've done with some of the, the different uh, military posts. Okay. Um, so the job I had in the infantry, you, that's the only place that you go to training. That's Fort Benning is the home of the infantry. Okay. Oh, okay, I did not or realize Florida, that. Excuse me, as it's like called. for Florida or Florida? no, for the oh. whole country. Because oh. I also know, like, um, my niece's son 
was in the Navy, I believe, and he did his training in the dead of winter up in like Great Lakes. The Great Lakes. I I just cannot imagine going through basic training period, but especially under those conditions. But just what you go through in basic training is unbelievable from what I hear. Give us a day in the life of basic training. Well, to backtrack, you show up um, the first day. It was night when I got there. We drove from Tampa to, it's in Columbus, Georgia, to Fort Fort Benning. Um, We showed up at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. They heard you off of there, you know, you're kind of disoriented, everybody's yelling. You mm. get in, you get some paperwork, they, f- I think we went to sleep the first night, and then you're back up at 6 a.m., uh, you know, it, it's a pretty wild adjustment that first couple of days. Are you in barrack style? It's a giant barrack style building, um, and when you go in during the summer, because there's, uh, they call it the summer surge, there's so many people coming in that you go there, it's basically holding. Um, mm. You hold for, I was there for 30 days, just because there's so many of us and there's only so many infantry training battalions. Mm. So we were there for about 30 days. There, it's your first taste of the military. That's where you get issued your uniforms. They cut mm-hmm. your hair. Um, believe it or not, back then I had a lot of hair. And that. And I they buzz it like you see on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're down to nothing, and they are not gentle. They they scalp you. Oh. Um, Did you like the your – who's so your people in command? They kind of change there. Um, it's – there are different drill sergeants that come in. They're there for different reasons. Some of them are getting ready to leave to go to another duty station. Some of them are at the end of their time. Mm-hmm. So they're uh, – basically, it's a lot of formations. You do PT in the morning, which is physical training. You go, and there's really nothing to do. You clean the barracks all day. Mm-hmm. They call you back out to formation. They count you. You go to a meal. They come back. You count again. It's it's really boring that time. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the 30 days, uh, for me, the drill sergeants walk down from wherever you're at. There's, I want to say, four or five different battalions. They walk you down, and they're talking. You're walking in formation. They're showing you all the things you'll never get to go to because... You don't have any freedom mm. um, other than church. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get there, and for us, you walk out on the PT field, and all hell breaks loose. That's when everybody's screaming at you. It, you're like, like what you see on TV? Kind of like what you see. Face. They're screaming at you. They're calling you every name in the book. Um, it, it's not gentle. It's, mm-hmm. And it, it's a shock to the system, especially... My grandparents were in the military, mm-hmm. my, both my grandfathers, I had uncles, aunts, um, but really that moment, you're not prepared for it. Wow. It, it's, uh, like I said, it's a shock to the system. Nobody knows where to look, nobody knows what to say, you constantly doing everything wrong in that moment. And is that just to kind of invoke discipline, like to kind of get you started yeah. off on knowing that, you I know, it's just got to scare to... the crap out of you, to I mean... let you know that you, life as you know it is not yours anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be told where to go, what to do. You got to be moving with a purpose. Um, you, the first few days are very shocking. So in the infantry, uh, a lot of the drill sergeants I had were either Panama veterans, Desert Storm veterans, um, or Mogadishu, Somalia. So mm-hmm. these guys had seen very intense combat up in mm-hmm. personal. Wow. Um, they were 
really good trainers because they'd been there and done that. Right. As a lot of the guys are now because of Afghanistan and Iraq. Yes. So kind of similar. Yes. Um, so I got there, I want to say it was the very end of August, very beginning of September. Um, as I said, it was 2001. Mm-hmm. So about 10 days in, we were at the rifle bayonet training across the way in the PT field and 9-11 happens. Oh, wow. Wow. So September 11th and you had literally probably been there maybe 10, 12 days. In actual basic training. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so then what? So they called everybody in, and it was kind of funny. It was right across, right across at the PT field from the barracks. They started sending people back. Me and another guy were guarding the equipment, and we're just sitting there. We're hearing people ride by with their car radios on, mm. and you're everything's happening in slow motion at that yes. moment, as it was for everybody. Um, yeah, because y'all were kind of removed from the right. news you are, and stuff. You're very removed. Um, I would be in shock. Was. I was in shock as the person hearing it on the Me radio. I could, it, I like that it. song, As Time Stood Still, or whatever, that Alan Jackson song. Um, literally, it stood still, like yeah, you just said. For all of us. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, that it, very well. It was, from there they grabbed everybody, you went, and they had us call home. Um, I called my grandfather because my parents were at work. Cell phones weren't a thing that big back in 2001. Yes. yes. So I called home, let them know I was okay. I wasn't going anywhere. They weren't shipping us off, obviously, because we didn't know anything. Right. Um, we went in, I believe that night, President Bush addressed the nation over, it was on TV, but we had a radio that we were all crowded around listening to. They let us listen to the address. We went to bed, and then the next day, we kept training. So it was, it was. A, I, we knew it had happened. We knew we were, of course, getting hearing things. Mm-hmm. But the next day, it was on to the next thing. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we had time to stop and think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me back then, basic training was nine weeks, um, and then we went. We had what they called OSET, one stop unit training, where. I'd say the first four weeks, you have your drill sergeant sleeping in the barracks with you. So you have no break from them, and mm-hmm. they have no break from you, so they really mm-hmm. despise you. Because um, most of us are dumb 18-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. Um, kids. Mm-hmm. But every day is something different. Um, you're going through, you're learning how to be a soldier. You're learning how to march. You're learning how to hold your weapon. You're learning how to shoot a weapon. You're learning the different weapon systems. Um, Mm-hmm. So you go through all that, and then you go to AIT, Advanced Individual Training. A lot of people go away to different places for that. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll go to Fort Leavenworth, different places. With the infantry, we stay right there. We have the same drill sergeants, um, same everything, mm-hmm. and they start teaching you the basic infantry techniques, how to move in a squad, a team, how to fi- lay down fire, different um, battle drills. Oh, wow. Which is the techniques you use to engage the enemy. Um, oh, wow. I know I'm saying them a lot. <laughs> it's, uh, so you, you learn that, and at the end of the 13 weeks, you have one final field prop. We call them field props. So you go out and you do the training that you've received over the last 13 weeks. It's a, I think it's a, almost a week long. And then you march back in. You do a long march back in. They call it the bayonet, or they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. You're done with basic training, and your training, 
you do a graduation. Mm-hmm. So my mom, dad, and my brother got to come up and see the graduation. And uh, infantry guys, we wear a blue cord on our shoulder that signifies if you're that you're infantry. So my mom got to come and pin my cord on me, um, which was good because I didn't walk with my class. I wasn't a great student, so that was kind of amazing. <laughs> well, it's very much like a huge, proud accomplishment. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. emotional, yeah. I'm sure, for your parents. I know it would be for me as a mom. Mm-hmm. You're so proud. Yeah. You know? It was, uh, it was really cool. And from there, uh, you have the day to kind of go out and be with your family and everything, and then you go back and... Uh, my next spot was airborne school. Um, I had signed up for an airborne contract. So airborne school is a three-week course. You have a ground week, uh, tower week, and then jump week. Mm. So ground week is you're learning... Still at the same place. Still at Fort Benning, just down the road. Okay. okay. So you're at the airborne barracks now. Okay. Okay. Um, and if you had chosen something else, you might have been sent out to California or somewhere. Right. So, I mean, so ironically, all your stuff was right there. Well, most of the infantry, so if I would have just done infantry training, if I would have been, so we have mechanized, airborne, um, and then light infantry, which are just foot soldiers, and then mechanizes in tanks. Okay. If I would have been one of those, I would have just went to my unit. Gotcha. I would have went to Fort Benning, uh, gotcha. Fort Campbell, Kentucky, different places. Yeah. And that would have been the end of it. And I would have started with my unit there. Airborne school, it's... I didn't think it was that difficult. Some people thought it was hard. You run everywhere. Again, mm-hmm. you're just figuring out how not to die when you jump out of the plane. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it, so, so obviously you were a jumper? Yeah. So when I was in, we I was part of an airborne unit. Um, oh, wow. I was part of the combat jump into Iraq to secure an airfield. In northern Iraq during the invasion. Okay, wait. Well, we're going to get there. Because, okay, that's the real good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay, but did you parachute here in Cluiston before no, no, you no, ever no. went? I, what actually, made you decide you were going to jump? Being 18 and dumb. Okay. Um, I'd never yeah. been on a plane before I went to airborne school. Oh, wow. So wow. my first time. Were you scared to death? I, yes and no. Uh, you're trained so much that you you really don't think you react. It's you know it, it's almost rote like it's right. just routine you know, like what you train train train. So much training. That's the point of being in basic training and doing that and then going to your unit. You train so much that everything is just natural. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think. You don't need to think. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. there are times you need to think, but most of it needs to be natural and yes. just reactionary. Yes. Okay. Um, So airborne school, you go, you do ground week, tower week. They have mock towers of airplanes that you learn to jump out, and they're on zip lines. So you jump out, and you're hooked in, and you're learning how to jump out and hold your body and how everything's supposed to be done. Interesting. It's very very interesting. It's a cool school to go to. Neat. It's it's quick. I mean, three weeks goes by very fast. I bet. The last week is jump week. You do five jumps. Um, You do four-day jumps, one-night jump. Which the running joke is most people do five night jumps because their eyes are closed the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. That'd be me. Um, yeah. From there, we graduated there. I was in RIP, um, Ranger and Decoration Program. It's called something else now. Um, got injured there and decided I didn't want to recycle and go through it all again. And just mm-hmm. had no interest in doing that. 
Mm-hmm. So I went in what they call worldwide. So you go to the means of the army. It means you can go anywhere to any army base that has infantry soldiers. Now, meanwhile, everything is bust loose. Yes. Everything is going on. Yes. Complete. Um, the I mean, invasion of, of Iraq or Afghanistan had started. Mm-hmm. Um, the Third Ranger Battalion and the 82nd had jumped in, secured the airfield in uh, Afghanistan. They're they're full on at this point. The, the invasion has begun. Um, so, so you go. Figured, I figured some. I was going somewhere, but happenstance, I go to the 173rd, which had hadn't been anywhere since Vietnam. They had uh, the unit I went to had actually deactivated um, right after Vietnam mm. and hadn't been around. The second of the 503rd. So I got there, I was in B Company, so this is in Italy. I was stationed in Italy to kind of backtrack. Once I got done, I came home for two weeks, and then I went to Italy. Where uh, in Italy? Uh, Vicenza. It's about 45 minutes an hour from Venice. Nice. So I mean, I guess nice. It was great. I mean... Yeah, your trip to Italy, his trip to Italy, maybe a yeah, little, little different. different. Now, how yeah. long were you in Italy before you got deployed? So it was roughly a year. Um, I got there, I want to say I turned 19 while, right before I went or right after I got there. Okay. So it was around February of '02. Okay. Um, so I got there, my company, I was one of the first like 20 soldiers in my company as we were building. We weren't even a, a unit yet. Mm-hmm. We had a alpha company, we, able company is what we call them, and I was in Bravo company, battle company. Mm. So it was... It was kind of interesting to see how this happened over time. Um, we got there, and I want to say our first first time really going into the field was probably three, four months after I got there. You know, you have you're learning land navigation; they're teaching you all the things. Like, were you studying maps and stuff? You learned maps. Of you Afghanistan. Learned, I mean, like, did you just, know you were just going general there? maps? Didn't know if I was going to Afghanistan. Iraq wasn't even on the horizon. Um, there was wow. no talk of that. So we go, our, our training was in Germany. We did a lot of training over there in the Hohensfeld and Grafenbeer. Um, you jump in, you play, basically play war games for a month. Uh, we came back from that, we went to Grafenbeer, and that's just where you go and shoot and do all the things, continuing to train. We did one peacekeeping mission in Kosovo. I was in Kosovo for about a month, uh, froze to death. Mm. It was brutally cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So now, question: Like mm-hmm. even when you were in Kosovo, like what is a typical daylight when you're in action or on? So this like, was, I mean, do you get breaks? Do you get to go and be go do anything fun? I mean, or is usually it usually not nothing? when you're in training? Um, usually, you go there. You're in training for thirty days, and then you come back and you go back to where you're stationed. Kosovo was a little different. It was a peacekeeping mission. So when I was there, the Americans had one sector. The Russians had a sector, uh, maybe the French or somebody. So you have your own sector. Mm -hmm. A lot of ours was just walking in and interacting with the local people, um, asking them, you know, making sure the Serbians weren't coming across the border because there was a great, not great, but there was a big genocide there um, Mm -hmm. during the 90s. So mm-hmm. we've kept 
a force there just to make sure nothing happens to him again. Mm -hmm. um, it was really the first experience of going out and seeing what it's really like out in the real world. And uh, wow. you know, they have mass graves where wow. you know hundreds of people were killed at a time. Kind of like what's going on right now yeah. with the two um, countries or whatever. Yeah, it was... Uh, and so, Gaza and... Yeah, it was, it was very eye-opening to have that be your first experience. Um, some guys, their first real experience was combat, so it was kind of kind of a good test of what, okay, this is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So we got back from that, so that was in November, December, um, continuing to train, you know, learn to move within your squad. A squad's about four, nine guys. That's a typical infantry squad. You have a team lead, two team leaders, a squad leader. Squad leader's the most senior person mm -hmm. in that. And then you have three regular soldiers, um, usually mm -hmm. E4 and below. So you learn to work with them because those are the guys you're going to be working with every day. Um, we Does that. that come natural? I mean, is that like how they say it's a brotherhood? Or? Very much so. You mm -hmm. you eat with them, you sleep with them, you everything you do, and especially being over in Italy, we didn't have other Americans to associate with. Mm -hmm. So it was very small, very tight niche. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, there was... I heard it said best by a guy in a, a documentary. He goes, you know, there's guys in this company that probably hate me and I hate them, but I'm willing to die for any of them. Oh. So it's a very different Honor, type of bond. Like, yeah. It's a bond that, you know. Well, I mean, because truly you are looking out for each other. I mean, period. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you learn to just work with everybody and you got to get along and accomplish whatever mission mm -hmm. you have. So... Around February, beginning of March 2003, um, Iraq started happening. They wouldn't let the inspectors in. All that mm -hmm. begins to happen. Um, we didn't know that's where we were going. It's still, you know, and then they don't tell you. You're told when you need to know. It's a need to know basis. So mm -hmm. as it got closer, um, probably mid March, we kind of got the idea. Okay, this is going to happen. We started getting stuff issued to us. Um, we, we knew that our time was coming when we were going mm -hmm. to Iraq. Um, what did you think during that time? Like, what do you think? Like, what are you, we walking into here? Yes, that, um, it, you know, infantry guys have, have a, I don't want to say an ego, but an ego. It's like, you know you're going, you're not, you're scared, but you're not. Mm -hmm. You're you you have enough faith in everybody that you're there with that. Yeah. You really feel like no matter what, we're gonna be okay with this. Mm -hmm. Well, you gotta put your game face on. Right. It's very much that way. A lot of the guys in the infantry that I knew were former athletes. Mm -hmm. They played high school football, high school baseball, lacrosse, things like that. Mm -hmm. So they came from a team, and mm -hmm. knew how to work within that team. Mm -hmm. They. Um, so they're very type A personality, so not a lot of quivering lips or anything like that. So we found out we were going, the day finally comes, um, <laughs> it's March 26, 2003, mm. which is Julie's birthday. Which is my oh, birthday. Oh wow, yeah. He'll never forget my yeah, birthday. Yeah, I always yeah. remember her birthday. Mm -hmm. um, I got to call 
my now wife and my mom and dad and mm. a couple other people before they took our cell phones. You tell them, hey, I'm going away. I can't say where I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, mm. Watch the news. It's going to be all over the place. Mm. And I'll can call you, you when I can. Mm -mm. I can't imagine being a parent and just, you know, just so mm -mm. Yeah. concerned and proud and concerned yeah. and all of those things. I Scared. can't either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, and especially not being allowed to have contact, which I understand that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. um, at this time, we had already started the invasion from the south. Originally, the plan was for my unit to go in through Turkey. Mm. It just so happened Turkey had shut down the border and said they weren't going to be involved in that way. So the next plan was to jump in and secure the airfield so we could have follow-on forces uh, which was the 4th Infantry Division, um, land and start moving down and kind of sandwich around Baghdad. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah, it was It was very, that when you start getting ready, you're going to the plane, they, that's when it becomes very real. Yeah. Um, I just remember around, looking around at all the faces and there was, we were the first jump out of C-17s. Uh, you look at, Kids. I mean, at that time I was a kid. And yeah. I was just looking at other 18, 19, 20 year old kids for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, that's what a lot of people I don't think fully grasp is war isn't fought by 30, 40 year old mm -hmm. men. It's kids, mm -hmm. you know, guys that a lot of them aren't old enough to have a beer legally. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. So yes. We, um, we flew from um, Aviano, uh, Italy, to Bashur. Drop zone. Uh, can't remember how long the flight was, but it was night and there was a full moon that night. Mm. So it was pretty well lit up when we jumped. Mm. Uh, we had 10 C-17s. I drew the lucky card of being on the very first one. I was jumper number roughly 10 on the first plane. Mm. So, Gosh. And like you really don't know where you're landing other than you've seen like aerial views You see topography, you've studied maps. So um, you kind of know, okay, like was it really like what we see on TV, like sand and just... No, the, northern Iraq is very mountainous. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's really different than what you picture. Mm -hmm. it, it's got mountains, it's cooler there, um, still in March. I would the, think desert. Yeah, southern Iraq Northern is very... Way. Well, but yeah. I do think mountains too, only because of everything I've seen, like when they were looking for um, the main guy. Bin Laden? That, yes. Afghanistan. That was oh, Afghanistan. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, well, there you go. Afghanistan is... Uh, a lot of guys said Afghanistan look like, looks like Colorado. The way yes. It kinda, okay. that's it's what very it like. mountainous. Yeah. yeah. Southern Iraq is desert. Um, it's that just sand gets everywhere. Mm. Where we were, when we jumped, it was mud. I mean, it was wet. Mm -hmm. When I jumped in, I would say, I have no idea exactly how much it weighed, but my ruck, weapon, mm -hmm. all that stuff, parachute, probably 120 pounds, and I was only 180 at that time. Oh, gosh. So the mm -hmm. light turns on from inside the plane, you start getting mm -hmm. your stuff ready, you hook up, wow. and then the plane basically goes into a nosedive to get, because you're at 30,000 feet or whatever we were flying at, down to a about a thousand feet above ground level. Wow. Mm -hmm. And 
you wait, and then a green light comes on, and you jump. You jump. Now, were, when you hit the ground the first time, was there anybody around you, or were you no, out in the middle our, of nowhere by yourself? We were up in the northern region with the Kurds, um, so that we didn't have any engagement that night. Um, when you land, you get your weapon. I was a radio RTO, radio telephone operator, so I had a radio that I had to get up and running for mm. the platoon, make sure we were starting to communicate, find out where everybody is. You basically get in a group, we call it LGOPS, little groups of paratroops. So it doesn't matter what unit you're from, you just get together and form a little group to walk with. Mm -hmm. um, the first person I think I came across was my platoon leader, um, Lieutenant Gaspard, who's now Colonel Gaspard. Mm. Um, he's the brigade commander for the 173rd, that unit now. Um, so I found him, we found our machine gun team, and we just started moving to where we were supposed to be. It was a miserable night. Mm. That mud and just walking through it. it was it cold? It, I, I don't remember it being cold. It probably was. But was just wet. And wet, and I was so miserable. Ugh. And I, that was just a very long night. Oh, my gosh. It, it was, I mean, I cannot even truly, I cannot no. imagine. And, like, it's not like you can call your mom and say, I want to go home. I'm not having a good time anymore. Uh, it's very much Like, and you're way. dying, I'm sure. Like, what? I mean, I don't know. I'd be thinking to myself, what did I think I was doing? Yeah. That thought crossed yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my I myself into. Right. The thought crosses your mind. Uh, it has to be brief because you have to keep moving. Yeah, you um, can't even go there mentally. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean you have truly. those moments where you're Feeling getting sorry. up for the fifth time. You got mud all over you. Yeah, and you have that moment where you're like, well, "I can't do this. What am I doing?" Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get in your uh, area and you start setting up a perimeter. Uh, no sleep really that night uh, that I can remember. You. Daybreak comes and you just start fortifying your positions in case something happens. Guys are still staggering in because you got to think a 60 second green light is how long it was. So you have guys mm. staggered yeah, all over back, the place, all way the out there. Uh, and they've got to get to where y'all are. They've got to get to where we are. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. So you get there, really, the first week we were there, we were just setting up positions, waiting. They're landing, starting to mm -hmm. get the other units in there. Uh, from there we pushed down to Kirkuk or actually no we went to a place don't know where it was it was a prison former prison up in the mountains mm. we were there for a couple days uh, kind of getting refitted and was anybody out. in the prison or was I have no idea or? I don't know who ran it uh, there were some different government agencies around mm. there mm -hmm. uh, didn't but you didn't see any enemies at that time at that time no it was Everything, everybody had kind of pushed south to stop the advancement there. We kind of caught them off guard with that. Um, mm -hmm. There were a couple of, I think, mortar missions and uh, special operations was engaging at that time. We went to that prison for a day or two, and then from there, we pushed down to Kirkuk, um, which is where we spent the next 300 days, roughly. It's a So that was like your home? That was my home. It was... Uh, we lived in one of Kimiko Ali's old houses for a long stretch of that. Who? Kimiko Ali. He was one of Saddam's. He's the guy that made the chemical weapons that they used on the Kurds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Y'all lived a, in this house? Yeah. We, we, what happened to him? Uh, he ended up at the house. I can't remember if he was killed or if he was caught and then uh, hung. So 
like the house that you were in. Again, I'm going back to only stuff I've seen on, like I used to watch that show. Um, oh my gosh, it's still on. Um, what is it called? The one with the blonde-headed girl and the red-headed guy. Um, and it's all over in Iraq, Afghanistan. He comes home and he's a traitor, actually, in the show. Um, no oh my gosh. It'll come back to you. Can't think. Okay. But so, in that show, like they would live in these places that were just like concrete houses that had nothing in them. Like they looked like bombs of, had blown up and it was just walls and depressing. Yeah, that was kind of, it was a show. I mean, it was a home. Uh, we were lucky that we were there. I mean, because some other guys lived in some really lucky and unlucky. Some people lived in palaces. They had some of Saddam's old palaces. They lived there. Um, ours was kind of a shell of a home. Our first mm -hmm. spot we lived in was with a PSYOP unit. Um, and we lived there for a couple months, probably till July, um, July, August, around that time frame. And we would do missions out of there. Um, you're basically gathering intel, you're doing raids at night. Uh, like when you do a raid. But yeah, where exactly <laughs> so is that? In a town? The show town. was Homeland, oh, by Homeland. the way. Okay. Homeland. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. That was driving me crazy. But anyway, yeah. okay. Yeah. So a raid is you basically get intel either through, through the locals or through Big Army. They send a mission down. And it's we always joked around and called them controlled kidnappings. Uh, you go in, you get into the house, however, whether you're breaching mm. or some of them are just walk up and knock and find out what's going on, depending on what they believe. The but can was. you talk the language? We had interpreters. So we had locals that we used to communicate with the uh, local civilians. Okay. Um, so you go in, you know, you're sometimes you're kicking in doors, going in and everybody that's 16 and older, you're putting flex cuffs on and putting a sandbag over their head. And then you're taking them to where they interrogate them. Uh, Just a normal civilian? Well, depending on the intel we got. You know, you don't know. There, you don't know. There's no uniforms. By the time... You can't trust them. By the time a month was over, you know, the, there was no uniformed soldiers running around anymore. Mm-hmm. So you didn't really know who's So you good, didn't know who was good, bad. who's bad. Nobody wore a uniform. You didn't know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So we would go in, we would take these people, and then they would go process them, whether they took them to another facility to interrogate them, whatever they did. Um, from then, we didn't have contact with them. Uh, so, you know, there were, we got in some firefights and some different engagements um, while we were there. Mm. Uh, towards the end is really when the IEDs started happening, mm. uh, roadside bombs and improvised explosive devices. Mm. That's when those started happening, and that was really a game changer for the whole mission there. Mm. Um, it wasn't anything we had prepared for. We didn't have the vehicles for it. Now they have what they call MRAPs and different. We were in regular hum cargo Humvees, uh, so when we got hit with them, mm. it, it did a lot of damage. And you get hit like in yeah, yours? Yeah, we we hit a couple. Oh my gosh! Um, oh yeah, because you're just driving and then it'll explode. Yeah. So one of the main ones we got hit with, we drove out of our our safe house and we maybe got a mile down the road and it went off. It hit the first two vehicles. I was in the third mm -mm 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 -mm. vehicle. Um, what happened to those men? 
they all lived. We, uh, my company, we actually didn't lose anybody for the whole time we were there. No, that's fantastic. We were very fortunate. Very. Um, our battalion, we lost a few. Um, I think we lost five. How many people are in a battalion? So a battalion is, at that time we had four companies, say 150 in a company. We had three companies. So 500, 600, 500-ish. Okay. Uh, okay. Roughly. Is what a battalion is. Roughly, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, we lost, I think five was the total. I, I can't remember the exact number. Um, two were IEDs, uh, and there were a couple more. I can't remember exactly who they were. I just know the two of them were in our sister company, Able Company, mm-hmm. So, and I kind of knew those guys. Wow. Um, so when that happened, everything kind of amped up. There was a lot more intensity to everything we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out and did raids the night after we got hit with an IED from mm-hmm. probably dark until until the early morning hours when we had to get out of there because of sunlight. Mm. Um, we did a few helicopter missions where we flew to different villages, mm. went in, grabbed people there, put them on a helicopter, fly back out. Uh, we were quick reaction force for a lot of the missions we chased different high value targets. So we went down to Balad. We did a week long mission there. Uh, it was I like the, what you see on TV. A lot of the stuff you would see on TV. Um, it, some really cool stuff uh, as far as an infantryman goes. It's Now, let me ask you this. Couple questions. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, do you feel like that the civilians there appreciated what you all were doing for them and their country? Did they view you as, why are you getting into our business? What do you think they thought of us? So Kirkuk was kind of a melting pot. Um, You had Shiites, Sunnis, which are the two major religious factions and political factions. Um, And then you had Christians, Turkmen, and a couple others. It was a big melting pot there in the north and Kurds. so you knew the places where you rode through and you were okay to ride through and then you knew the places in the city where you rode through and you knew you needed to be on your game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you knew where you weren't welcome, which is where we like to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's a reason we're not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of the people, they were scared. Let me ask, so where you felt that you weren't welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because they were hiding certain people there? There, what was? Why did you feel that way? You, you ever been in a room with somebody you know doesn't like you? Yes, yes. We talk about this all the time. We follow our <laughs> gut instinct. That's right. our personalities. Instantly, I know. So they may not. They may have been somebody that had a good job with the former regime, and now they don't have any job. Yeah. You, you got to understand when a government's overthrown, there's a lot of mm-hmm. uncertainty. So people were scared because it was their sense of security, the only security they right. knew mm-hmm. in a way. A lot of people were scared. Um, there were people there that you know genuinely wanted to obviously hurt us with IEDs and mm-hmm. shooting and taking any chance mm-hmm. they got to hurt us. Um, and you just know you you ride through an area. There's no women mm-hmm. or kids outside. There's, mm-hmm. you know, people are watching your every move. 
Whereas you go into you one of the other it. areas. Yeah, you felt it. You feel it. You know, you, you know. know. People yeah. are waving at you, you know. You, just, you know, yeah. Not that you ever truly let your guard down, but you just kind of have that mm-hmm. feeling. Well, it's just like us. I mean, when you go into a neighborhood and you start getting that feeling of, oh, this might not be the best neighborhood to be in right. versus mm-hmm. the one across the street or right. whatever. Gut feel. I mean, you just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know when you're not welcome somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of that feeling. Uh, we did... We set up police stations. And we kind of train, not really trained the police. We ran a police academy. Um, I, I've never thought that what we did translated into working with the cops that well because that's mm-hmm. not what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you don't have a government, you do what you can. Well, and that was part of that whole right. I guess the training of their armed forces in a way. They had when I was there, they had no armed forces. Right, right. and then later, yeah. I guess that came and it took. Right. I mean, we were there for years and years and years, right. training, 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 training. Right. right. So then it was just the cops kind of ran as cops do the best they could the city, mm-hmm. and it was our job to go after the really bad people that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So around December that year, I got to come home. My grandfather passed away that year. Um, so they let me come home on my two weeks leave. While I was home, they uh, captured Saddam, actually. Mm. Uh, Thank God. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. He, he was a very bad person. Um, that did horrible thing to his people, especially mm-hmm. the Kurdish community. Mm-hmm. Um, so he eventually he got what happens to those type of people. He was mm-hmm. hung, um, and then I went back Christmas Eve. <laughs> it was time to go back. Mm-hmm. You know, you do your two weeks, and you got to go back because somebody else is waiting to go home. Yeah. Were, was that the hardest thing in the world for you to get on that plane and go back? I think I would have just ran. You know, you know well, it was hard for my daughter. <laughs> I can tell you that yeah. she cried a lot. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, you. You know, you know that you have to go back so somebody else can go see their family. Yes. You know that your guys are there. You almost want to get. You're almost uncomfortable being here. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you know your guys are over there and you don't know what's going on with them. You want to get back and make sure they're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's that bond. You -hmm. you want to get back. You you don't want to leave, but you know your place isn't here. And there's just so many things I want to add. I mean, just so many different things like that come to my mind because. So coming back when you're finished with the whole assignment or whatever Mm -hmm. after the five years or when you're done or decide to be done, whatever. Mm Reacclimating because I've seen again so many movies about that like after you get into the mindset it's kind of like when we were talking to Zach last week about even being in prison Mm -hmm. you assume a different role and place but yet hierarchy and relationships same thing with being in the military it's very similar believe it and as I mean you adapt to that because right. that's what now you're comfortable with. That's what with. your reality is. So coming back from that, was it like a really difficult adjustment? Like you, again, see in the movies where people have a really hard time reacclimating. So, yeah, it's yes and no. You're happy to be out of there. Um, it, it, the I knew I was leaving. I was uh, I had another unit to go to after that. I was supposed to leave while we were in Iraq, but of course mm-hmm. that took priority. So I knew I was leaving those guys when we got back. So it was kind of easy for me to kind of 
okay, I've got to get ready for the next thing. Um, that unit, they ended up deploying to Afghanistan two more times after I left. Those guys, and the second time they went there, they saw very intense combat. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two documentaries made about it. If anybody mm-hmm. has a chance, Restrepo and Korngal are mm-hmm. the two. Uh, the guy that went there and made it, Sebastian Younger, he's the guy that wrote The Perfect Storm. He went there and would live with them for wow. a long period of time. But if anybody, if you get the chance, it's a great documentary. Yeah. Um, those wow. guys, they seen combat in a different lens than I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I experienced was, I would almost say mild compared to what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in firefights every day. Mm. I mean, it was they lived on the side of a mountain. Mm. They, for the first bit, they didn't have, they were running off of generators. They didn't have internet. They didn't have really, mm. I mean, that was, they were living very rural on a side of a mountain fighting every day. It, it's very intense. So those guys had a different experience. Coming back from combat for everybody is different. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys come back and they're fine and they adjust back to the world. Mm-hmm. Me, I knew I was going to another unit. Um, I went to a Ranger Training Battalion. I kind of had a time there to adjust to being away from that. Those guys that stayed, they had a year roughly, and they knew they were going to Afghanistan, so it was right back into training. It was right mm-hmm. back into, mm-hmm. all right, got to get ready for the next thing. We have a new guy. I left, so there was somebody there to take my place, and somebody, mm-hmm. so they got to get those guys up to speed and ready to mm-hmm. do it again. Um, so, you know, you come back and guys, again, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids, mm-hmm. you get guys that have DUIs. You get guys that they're back, they have freedom, they're, they get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guys come back and say it's almost easier being there. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's almost like being institutionalized. You, it is. You get used yeah. to that. Regimen or well, it, every day you're needed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of young people don't have now. They don't have that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I can remember when you got out, right, mm-hmm. and you came back home. And my father, who had been in the Air Force in his day, he remembers when he came back home, they bring you, you've got your army bag, you have your uniforms, and that's all you have. Mm-hmm. And my dad made sure that Mike had socks, underwear, all those things that you don't think about not having because they have been in combat, they have been mm. over there, and they come back, he had that bag, and that's all they mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different now. That Back then, that's very much how it was. Um, mm-hmm. It was very, drop you off, all right, see you later, mm-hmm. you know, at the end. Um, the, the military has gotten better with how they treat people after they've gotten out, they've learned. Mm-hmm. Thank God, yeah. I, I say this cautiously, they've learned a lesson Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes our government isn't very good at learning lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at Afghanistan during the 80s when the Russians were there. We left them with nothing, which created a void. There was a large population of their males that were uh, adult age that were dead. And that left a vacuum that eventually the Taliban and Al-Qaeda filled. Mm-hmm. So, but as far as veterans go, there's a lot of services now. There's a lot of different things. Um, the so after my last year in um, at Six Ranger Train Battalion, it, 
I got out, we lived in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my guys were deploying. Uh, the guys I had met, different mm-hmm. people I knew, uh, they kept deploying. And one of the hardest things for me was survivor's guilt. You know, you get a, mm-hmm. you get an email, a text, you see a news story that mm-hmm. somebody you know is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have now, to, what made you not keep deploying, or how you just chose not to, or just, or um, you couldn't after so many stints? No, or? I, I did my one. I had a four-year contract. It came to the end. I went back and forth on whether to do it. And yeah. I just I knew that it'd be very hard to have a life. That, yeah. You know, divorce. To is start a, a life. There's like you were trying to get your life started. Right. There's at a very high point. divorce rate. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's very hard. So yes. basically, you had fulfilled your contract. So that, so that was the main reason. Yes, You're ma'am. like, okay, I'm, I, I did it. Um, and thank God. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. A lot of guys do that. A lot of guys stay in. Um, I, one of my good friends just retired after 22 years. Yeah. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he made a life out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guys get out. They, you know, I know guys that have six deployments. Mm-hmm. And they just get beat down. It's, oh, well, I can't even imagine. Right. Yeah. And especially special operations guys, bless those guys because they're gone. I mean, they, they anywhere in the world they're needed, they continue to go over and over and over again. It's, it's a hard life. So, like with you being a veteran and then you see that, you know, we have Veterans Day Parade or, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever, like... Do you feel like that we as a country, as people, normal everyday people, truly really realize the sacrifice? Probably not. I mean, only because there's no way to realize it unless you're probably there. I don't know. But like you probably view veterans in a completely different way than I do because you have lived it as a veteran. I I hope for... For most, I, I think they understand what happens over there, especially now with the internet news mm-hmm. the way it is. It's a lot different than Vietnam, and you mm-hmm. know, it, it's a lot. You can go on different websites and watch hours and hours of firefights, and it, it's a lot more real now. Mm-hmm. And um, but at the same time, we get fatigued. I mean, the last couple of years that guys were in Afghanistan or where mm-hmm. nobody really cares. I mean, yeah, they're still over there. You know, when it was fresh after 9-11 or beginning of 2003, it was every, there was yellow ribbons. There oh, were, yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, yeah. It was a lot more of that, but as... Yep, time goes time on. Time goes on, everybody lives their life and kind of... Except for those families who correct. have sons or daughters or whoever that are over there. I almost feel like if I was the mother of somebody like you, I'm just saying, like, I'd probably... I'd be appreciative of the people that really did care, but I would also probably have a chip on my shoulder with the most everybody that's just running around for their freedom. Like, I'm sure it makes you want to smack somebody after well, serving. Not, not the for the most part. Most. And then you see you people take advantage of the freedoms that we do have in this country. But that's that's why. Give us we, your view about that. Go ahead. So, my thought is. You know, the, whether you want to protest, you want to do whatever, you have the same right as somebody who supports the troops no matter what. That That's what really makes our country great. You know, I, I kind of tie it back to Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, kneeling mm-hmm. for the national anthem. I was asked a lot about that, and, you know, oh, does that make you sick? I'm like, no, that's his right as an American. 
that that's every person's right. Mm-hmm. Whether you support our government, you don't don't really agree with what they're doing. In the, he, for whatever reason he was doing it, you know, whether you agree with it or not, that's his right. Mm-hmm. You know, that if we're not protecting those rights just as much as we're protecting the other rights, what are we really doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. I can remember I'd get fired up. I'd mm-hmm. get fired up about that milling down until one day. <laughs> I mean, I would. I get just lip more fired up. But Michael tell you, and he had to kind of set me straight, and I'd get ticked at Mike about it. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm just I'm trying like, to take that for you. Yeah, and I'm like, aren't you mad? Aren't you mad? And until he said it, and, and his words, which were simply put, that that's why we fight for our country, is to have the right to do mm-hmm. those things. Well, that takes a mature brain, because I, I don't know if my brain would be mature enough well, to get I, that. Because I'll be me. like, I'm, I'm sorry. If you could have seen what I was going through, have a little more respect for... The flag. I'm just saying. I yeah, mean, no, I, me, under, I understand that. And, you know, you know, it's there are times I get pissed off when I see things that you know go on, and you know, mm-hmm. people protesting a soldier's funeral. It, nothing makes me matter than that. No. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's that person's define their family to find peace mm-hmm. and say goodbye. That's yeah. the moment. You mm-hmm. know, exactly. That, you know, those guys are being laid down by their brothers a lot of times. It, yeah. It's very it's yeah. very hard to see those things. And, um, and to, you know, for listeners out there, Mike still is in contact with a lot of his his partners, brothers, yeah. however you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, I've met several of them, loved them. Mm-hmm. We've all, I mean, he brought them into our family. And, I mean, I mm-hmm. truly have the utmost respect at all. Oh, yeah. I, you know, unless you're in the family or, you know, you spoke to somebody, I, I'm happy with people not knowing the some of the stuff that happens because it's not their burden to care or burden to carry. Sure. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know. Because Mike we, doesn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Just, he doesn't really talk about it. It's. Mm-hmm. I kind of got that from my grandfather. My grandfather, both of them were World War II veterans. One died before I was probably seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, as I said, passed away when I was there. And he never really spoke about it until I got ready to go. Um, it, the way a lot of us look at it, it's not other people's burden to carry. We made the decision. We went. It's what we decided to do with our lives. If you had to do it over again, would you make the same decision? 110%. Mm-hmm. I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for that. Um, I, I was a very sheltered 18 year old kid mm-hmm. I, I got to travel I got to see the world I've been to more countries than I have states mm-hmm. I got to meet people that I would have never met outside of mm-hmm. you know this little small town mm-hmm. um, so I, I'm very happy with what I did uh, you know there's part of me again you know I still struggle with I wish I would have went back to. I wish I would have went to Afghanistan and been there with those guys when they went through that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of survivor's guilt. Um, mm-hmm. I wear personally. I wear a bracelet every day. That mm-hmm. is my old uh, platoon sergeant who was killed in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a reminder of what you know how lucky I am that wow. I'm here. Yeah. And I wow. I told Mike I was going to ask him this question. I thought I would spring it on him, but then I thought it's not really fair 
because I want to ask him this before we wrap up here. What is your definition of um, patriotism? So for me, I think it's different. Um, my definition is expressing the rights that you're given by this country. Whether you are a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. Be proud, but also understand that everybody around you is an American just like you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this country is too divided on politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have forgotten what really makes this country great, and that's the people mm -hmm. in it. Um, you know, agree. when I watch the national anthem at the Super Bowl, and I I get a chill. You know, when mm -hmm. I hear a sad country song, and it talks about so I, I mm -hmm. feel it. I try my best not to, um, mm -hmm. because it's just but it gets you sometimes patriotism is different for every single person um mm -hmm. my only i always think about the older guys the world war ii guys the vietnam guys the korea guys um really the vietnam and korea guys they're forgotten mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the those guys went through hell yeah and my only hope is that people talk to those guys and mm -hmm. hear their stories mm -hmm. yeah um Especially the World War II guys, there's so few of them left. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky I had my grandfather who was, like I said, a World War II vet, and I got to talk to him before yes. I went and get those stories. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. So that's the biggest thing. I think being a veteran to me isn't something I really go around pounding my chest about. It's, I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't talk about it unless I'm really asked. Um, but I'm proud of it. You should be. And for everyone that's served in any capacity, I'm telling you, to me, it's a very, very, very selfless thing to do. Mm -hmm. And especially in today's world when, you know, it's all about me, it's all about me, right. you know, about the team, how you said now, it yes. scares me a little bit because like even you said, a lot of your people that were in your battalion and your unit, you know, they were team sport people. And mm -hmm. I almost feel like we're losing the art of the team spirit because now everything's incentivized individually. Yeah. You know, even with high school football recruitment now, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. not about the team. It's about, oh, I'm being recruited by this college or I'm getting put in the portal and blah, blah, blah. But there does need to be that... I don't care if you're in prison and you've got your team of people, your your car your that car. you're in, or if you're in the army and you have your battalion, or if you're in your neighborhood and you've got your people in your neighborhood. I want to end it with, and you may have another question, but with one yeah, last question, question, because I feel like I've asked this now several times and I want your opinion um, based on the history that you have um, with our country and 9-11 specifically, because I ask this all the time, you know, as sad of a moment as that was for our country, and it was definitely probably the saddest moment I've lived through mm -hmm. in my lifetime that I can remember. Absolutely. Um, I felt like that, you know, we all came together truly as the United States of America at that time. There wasn't, you know, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? And, you know, you're in this camp or that camp. We all had flags waving at our homes, in our vehicles. People took a little bit longer to be kind to people, to look at people. You know, we all rallied as a country. And I just always wonder, 
and I pray that that I'm wrong in this. I just worry, do we have that capability if something tragic like that happened again, do you think we would be able to overcome that or are we too far gone as the individual and no team and no, it's all about me mentality? I, I say, yeah, we do because you see it every day. Um, being here in Florida, we were hit with a massive storm over in Fort Myers a mm -hmm. couple years ago. Well, I mean, it was a smaller level, but... What does everybody do in that moment? They want to go help. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody else just said that. Mm -hmm. I don't know who it was that we were talking they, to about yeah, it. And they just said that about that. Ian. Mm -hmm. They said if that's any indication, they were talking about Ian, there is still hope. Because exactly the same thing. And people do. Like, I mean, we all pull up our bootstraps and go and... I mean, I was delivering gas to people over there. Right. You yeah. know, I was doing whatever I could to help. And I had survivor's guilt in a way because we were here and we didn't even feel a puff of wind and they're demolished, you yeah. know, an hour away from us. You know, you see people do kind acts. Yes. The, the, that's not gone. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I think we could, everybody can treat their, each other better. Mm -hmm. um, not be so quick to judge, not be mm -hmm. so quick to turn your back. Learn to really get to know somebody before you don't like them. I, mm -hmm. I mean, everybody, you're not going to like everybody. Everybody's not going to like you. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I do, I do have worries about this generation. I sound like an old person now. Um, <laughs> well, I have 40. Yeah. You know, I, I heard a great speech by a, a colonel at a infantry basic training graduation. Um, he said, you know, it, for, for my worth, there's only two types of men, and this includes women, uh, two types of men in this world, men of action and all others. It's really easy to sit outside and mm -hmm. criticize and be an armchair quarterback, but what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Do you go out of your way for your neighbor? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't really criticize other people if they don't. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's really an individual effort from everybody mm -hmm. um, to make sure that if something happens like that, that we all do what we can. Absolutely. Yeah. And be in part of a solution and not just, like you say, Monday morning quarterback. It's really easy, right. easy to criticize. but And we're all guilty. I mean, uh, I'll yeah, say, right. no, we can all be guilty of it. And right. you know what? I appreciate you sharing that little nugget because even just one little thing, like that's something I need to take away right now because we all get caught up. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, we're the ones sitting there, well, they should have done it this way. Well, they should, you know, mm -hmm. but like you say, then jump in, let's all do it together, you know? And it does make me feel good because I have been asking that question a lot because it's been mm -hmm. bothering me about just uh, maybe because it's getting ready to be an election and we're starting up and mm -hmm. la, la, la. And I get so ugh, about the whole thing. But... So I hope that we still have that sense of, you yeah. know, unity and I, I, decorum asked, and manners, she respect. She asked me the same question, and I said, 100%, the United States is going to rally. Yeah, it's... We are. Mm -hmm. we got to remember that the politicians, I, I don't like to get political. I actually hate... He people. does. I hate, I don't want to say politicians, but I really dislike... What it's become mm -hmm. um, we rely too much on what we feel like they tell us mm -hmm. that's not what this country was founded on that's mm -hmm. not who we are we need to quit worrying about what everybody else tells us and really think mm -hmm. for ourselves and look after the people around us instead of waiting for 
everybody else to tell us how we should feel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're right. Well, Mike, we so appreciate it. Hey, thank you for your service. Truly, I mean, really and truly. And um, we'd love to have you back because I know we just scratched the surface (laughs) with stories. And I, you know, it it is amazing to me just everything that people have been through in one way or another. And, you know, how quickly we can forget and lose track of that. And it's good to be reminded, Mm -hmm. even with what's going on right now, there's just so much. And, you know, we look at it as, oh, they're way over there. But it's not. I mean, it's our people, too. You know, well, not even our people, people in general. You know, at the end of the day, it's about people. But um, I do think all, everybody out there who has joined any of the services, we can't thank you enough. Yes, absolutely. Our hats off to you. For Veterans Day, reach out to a veteran. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know what they're going through. Absolutely. So true. So true. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, thank you, and God bless. You God bless the United States of America. All right, until next week, everybody, don't forget to like us, love us, share, care, and be, be kind. kind. Bye. Bye. <laughs>